As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. Understanding Our Sexual Desire. A talk by Simon Carrington at the 2018 Immaculata Mission School in Hobart, Tasmania. Fire up. G'day, everyone. How are we? Good. Does anyone else feel like they got a flame in their chest of excitement and joy? During that song, I was like, I think my rib cage is going to crack open. Um, anyway, okay. So, yes, um, I've been waiting for seven days to speak to you all. They, they put me at, at, at the end. The sisters, I love them, but they put me at the end. And I've been yearning to, to speak to you all, and I'm, I'm very excited it's finally here. It's been great to share this, this week with you all and to, to kind of be on this journey with you. Can I get my beautiful wife to stand up? Maddie, stand up for us. Uh, because um, today is our three-month wedding anniversary. And she just looks so lovely today in that dress. And she even did her hair nice and straight for me. That, that's my favourite for her. I love, I love her straight hair. But anyway, she does a hair I love, but that's my favourite. <laughs> so anyway, what a way to start. Okay, so I'm really excited to share this message with you because this is really, what I'm going to share with you today is really how God gave me a sense of freedom when it comes to our sexuality and love and relationships. And I, I had a lot of funny ideas when it came to my sexual desires um, the way I was kind of raised and formed um, when, when it comes to marriage and sexuality wasn't, wasn't really the best. And I want to share a bit about my path to authentic freedom with our sexuality. I want to invite you all, though, first, before I start, this is a real heart talk. And I want to encourage you to really open up your heart as I'm going to be speaking for the next hour or so. And I really want you to invite God into that deep, dark place in our heart where there may be wounds with regard to our sexuality. There may be wounds of, of love that may need healing. And thank God we've got our friend James Parker here. He'll look after that tomorrow for us. But I'm, my job is not to heal. My job is just to realize you, help you realize you may need healing. So really, I think this is a bit of a two-edged sword here. Um, is that when I went to America and did a course on the theology of the body, I described it as like a spiritual heart surgery. When someone kind of interviewed me after the week, I said it was like spiritual heart surgery. It just split my heart open and I realised all this healing that I needed with regard to my sexuality. And I want to share with you what I went through. Um, This is like like a one-hour summary of, you know, like a week-long course. So the first thing is to acknowledge that we all have a hungry heart. We have a hungry heart, and what are the things that we're hungry for? We're hungry for love. We're hungry for a sense of communion and community, for relationship, for intimacy. Okay, but not just that surface human intimacy when it comes to our sexuality. I'm talking about a deep yearning to be loved unconditionally, to be known that you're loved unconditionally. And for an intimacy and a sense of communion that is far beyond anything this world can offer. Okay, three months ago was the best day of my life. My wedding day, I tell you, 
go on, it'll be on Facebook soon, but we just got the, we just got our promo video a week before we got here. And I could just see the, just the, the joy on our faces. I had the best, I wish you were all there, but I couldn't have all, all that. I, I didn't have the chairs to, to, to seat you all. Okay. But um, I didn't know most of you either, so that probably, <laughs> that, that doesn't help the situation. But um, it was the best day of my life. And you know what was, it, it went so quick. And I just kept saying to Maddie all day, like, I, just, I don't want this day to end. If we look into that, what there is a desire in us for happiness to be eternal. We never want those great moments to end. Why is it that on day 10, there's going to be this, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, in some ways I'm happy to be going home because I want to go and take back into my life what I've learnt this week, but there's a sense of sadness because you don't want this awesome experience to end. Have any of you been laughing? This might be a weird story, but have any of you, you might be in the shower you might be singing or you might be washing yourself like everyone else does. Okay, and, and out of nowhere, your heart is just pierced with this sense of emptiness. Out of nowhere. You could be, ha- you could be having breakfast on your own and something just hits you and you think there's got to be more. There has to be more than this. Have you ever been laughing with your friends? These three girls here, right? One of them is my sister, Okay. <laughs> But have you been laughing and laughing and laughing and then in the, in the midst of that incredible laughter, there's like a, there's got to be more. Am I, am I being weird or do you actually understand what I'm saying here? We all have a yearning, deep desire for an eternal happiness that will never end. And even the best experiences we can possibly have in this world just never seem to give us that. And I like to call this the ache of unfulfillment. Our heart, it's aching to be fulfilled and satisfied with this love that we are sure will never be taken away from us. But the sad reality is, is that is not possible on this earth, is it? Father Anthony Mary's homily this morning, I, it just it blew my mind when I realised how perfect what he was saying was. We're yearning and yearning for something greater. We're yearning for Christ to come, okay? Precisely because we cannot have that ache of unfulfillment fulfilled until he does come again, right? Because we're always going to be yearning and, in a sense, waiting for more because this world, okay, is not perfect. Now, the ancient Greek philosophers had a word for this ache of unfulfillment. It was called eros, right? E-R-O-S, and they said it was the, the yearning within the heart of a human being for that which completes all of our desires, for that which is true, good, and beautiful. Okay, that's how the philosophers described it. Truth, goodness, and beauty. Now, they were talking about that hundreds of years before Jesus even came. Now, Pope Benedict XVI came along only maybe 10 years ago when he said this, and he said, Eros is the ache of the human heart which seeks God. Now, what are the three transcendentals, right? What are the three, the three main attributes of God? I know Paul spoke about his mercy, absolutely, but it's truth, goodness, and beauty. So Pope Benedict XVI has come along and said, listen, this eros, this ache of unfulfillment, this yearning for truth, goodness, and beauty, let me simplify it for everyone. You're all yearning for God. Whether you know it or not, whether the atheist that I bumped into two days ago when we were on, on that mission trip, 
Where, where, where's my evangelization partner, Xavier? Fire up, mate. He was awesome. He did so well, okay? And this guy, he simply just said, you know, God isn't my flavor. But still, even though this guy may not understand it or know it, if that man is seeking love, if he wants to be loved, if he's looking for beauty and truth and goodness, his flavor actually is God. That's who he's deep down yearning for and, and desires union with. So I have a proposal for you. These desires are not there by accident. These desires are part of our design, which are the roadmap to our ultimate end. Okay, now this, what is it now, Eddie? Would you agree you have these desires for love and intimacy that I'm talking about? Please say yes. Yes. Yes, okay. <laughs> I just didn't want you to embarrass me there, brother, you know, anyway. So Eddie's got all, all, all these desires for truth, goodness. Is that how you describe it? Truth, goodness, beauty, God, right? You can sum it up, right? Now, Eddie, did you choose those desires? Yes. You did choose them. So were you there when you were created and you said, I want to feel these desires forever? Did you say that? No. <laughs> no, so Eddie, Eddie, you are not responsible for the design of your desires, are you? Which means someone else is though, which means you have a designer and God is that designer. And so these desires that we have in our hearts, which seek God are not there by accident. God designed us all that way so we would follow them back to him. How awesome is that? Now, God understands that love must be free, okay? So I can't force anyone, or God, more so, right? God cannot force Eddie to respond to him. He cannot force. But he, he desires for you to respond to that, and he knows this will be your, your ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction, and he knows what you want deep down. He knows what's going to make you happy. So God gives Eddie these desires, and he constantly is calling him to respond to these desires in the hope that you will, which will lead them back to himself, which is love, truth, goodness, and beauty, which is everything that he knows will make you happy. But you still have a free choice. But God has designed us in this way for a reason. Now, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2-7, the desire for God is written on the human heart. And only in God will he find the truth and happiness he never stops searching for. Isn't that beautiful, right? It's a desire we never stop searching for. God designed us with a God-sized hole in our heart. I think one of the speakers touched on this in the week. It could have been one of you two. A God-sized hole in our heart, which means that nothing other than God... Yeah, someone definitely spoke about this. Something other than God will never fill that gaping hole in our heart because it's an infinite hole. It's an infinite hole that only God can fill. But we may try to fill it with alcohol, with sex, with drugs, with, with partying, with a good time. We've heard, we've heard heaps of those stories and testimonies throughout the week. Everyone's testimony who shared that, that they went through a party scene and, and the drugs and the sex and whatever, ultimately that did not lead them to happiness. It was God that finally was able to quench that thirst, was able to fill that hunger for a love that will last forever, and that was God. So the Word became flesh, and this is again from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 221. The Word became flesh, so Christ became man 
to reveal God's innermost secret, that he is an eternal exchange of love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he has destined us to share in that exchange. Do you realize that your ultimate purpose is to marry God? Amen. Amen. That is your ultimate purpose. Okay, Your ultimate purpose is to become one with God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is why earthly marriage, earthly marriage is the most beautiful sign we have on earth to point us to that which we truly long for because it's marriage. I've got news for you. Even if you're a sister, if you're a priest, you're a seminarian, you're thinking, I'm never going to get married, right? <laughs> you are going to get married. We're all called to marriage, but it's a heavenly marriage. It's far superior. Sorry, even though I'm loving it, right? Okay. <laughs> but it's far superior than any earthly marriage we could possibly experience or understand. And we're all called to that eternal marriage with God. So God, and this might sound weird, okay, but we're talking about eros. Eros is these deep uh, erotic desires. Eros is the erotic desire that we all have and all experience, okay? Now, unfortunately, through uh, the issue of, you know, like pornography and everything, that word erotic has been twisted up to sound like it might be something sinful or dirty or unholy. But in fact, erotic desires are one of God's main designs of every human person. And those erotic desires were given to us by God to point back to himself, which means that God is the fulfillment of our erotic desires. God is the fulfillment of all of those desires. And this means our desires have a spousal meaning. Okay? She's my spouse. So what am I talking about? Spousal meaning, they have a meaning of marriage. These, our, our erotic desires are spousal because it is the yearning for our ultimate bridegroom. And we're all, okay, even the men in the room... In our relation to Christ, we are bride. Okay, we are the church. We are the bride and we are yearning for the bridegroom to come. It's that beautiful passage in, in the Gospels, right? Those ten virgins right, that are waiting with their lamps and the oil, right? They're waiting for the bridegroom to come. Father Anthony Mary, again, and his homily, I love that man. Who loves Father Anthony Mary? My goodness, right? In his homily again today, he's basically saying... Would you like your bridegroom to come today at five o'clock, sweep you off your feet and take you to an eternal honeymoon? What, what, like, why would you not want that to happen today, right? Really, when you put it that way. Okay, um, my honeymoon was awesome. We went to Europe. That's, that's close enough, okay? Um, but, we, but that's what it is, right? God is the bridegroom that we should be in anxious anticipation of. We should be yearning for his coming every single day. And our lives should be ordered towards preparing ourselves for our, our bridegroom to come. So because these erotic spousal desires we have are in a sense to the eye, to our senses, they're invisible. Okay, but God knows, okay, God created us as humans with the five senses, right? We, we learn, okay, you know, I've been holding their, their little son, right, Joseph. What does he want to do to gain knowledge about you? He sticks your hand in his mouth. He wants to taste your hand and he wants to point, point at you and he wants to touch my, my little beard. It's a pretty 
It's a pretty bad beard, but he, he likes to rub my face. And that's what babies do, right? They discover through their senses, and we're the same. God made us in a way that we would learn and discover through our senses. <sighs> Who's ready for a mind blow? This gets me every time. God stamped this erotic, spousal, invisible desire that we all have for marriage into our bodies when he created us as two different beings with our sexuality, male and female. This desire has been stamped into our sexual identity, into our bodies. Our bodies now, thanks be to God, speak this same language of erotic spousal desire. And we can see it's written on our bodies and particularly in our our sexual organs We yearn for communion. We yearn for intimacy. We yearn to become one flesh in marriage. And all of our desires and our bodies are all ordered towards this one desire. Can we see why, and I think this is really important, is it any wonder why Satan's, one of his greatest targets on earth, is our masculinity, our femininity, there's no such thing as male, female. There's you know, marriage between two men, two women, doesn't matter. This is destroying the most beautiful sign on earth that helps us. It's like a GPS to heaven. Our sexual desires and our sexual identity is a GPS to heaven. And it's helping us understand where to send our desires, where to, to order our desires. Now, Pope Benedict XVI again he said that a sexual union, that a sexual union is a glimpse of everything that we seek. Now, what is a, a sexual union or the, the sexual act itself? What is that act? It is the sign that seals the bond of marriage between a husband and wife. So if sexual union is a glimpse of everything we seek, then a glimpse of everything that we seek is marriage. Whoever said that the popes don't know anything about about sexuality, right? Pope Benedict wrote some incredible stuff about sexual desire and erotic desire, and then don't even get me started on St. John Paul II. My goodness, everything I'm saying is from him, right? In fact, I had a beautiful experience at his tomb at St. Peter's Basilica on my honeymoon, and... I'm there right with Maddie and we walk in and I'm, I'm looking at the, um, um, the Pieta, okay? And then she goes, I've got a surprise for you. She didn't tell me this. I didn't know that St. John Paul II's tomb is just around the corner from that, right? And no joke, I was like, the second she said, she said, I want to I show you something. And she took me through the crowd. And the second I caught a glimpse of his tomb, I, I tell you, I've never cried that much in my life. <laughs> And I was on a tour, by the way, with like about 30 other people. And everyone's going to Matty, you see, all right? You see, you know, I said, yeah, 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 don't worry, leave him, leave him, don't worry. <laughs> and I'm there, and I'm te- honestly, I don't even know how to describe it. I am just lost for words. For a, about a week after that experience, I couldn't look at a picture of him without crying. <laughs> and when I came here, I realised I was in the group of St. John Paul II. I almost cried again. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I just, I, I love that man so much. Honestly, I love him so much, and I honestly feel like I met him at his tomb. 
And I think I was sharing this with one of the guys in my group, but I don't know how else to explain this. But at his tomb, I became very, very aware of his real and personal love for me. I don't know how to explain that, but at his tomb, I felt very strongly him say, it was not an accident that you came across my writings of Theology of the Body about sexuality. In fact, I, I chose you to go and preach this message. And I came across the Theology of the Body at about 13 years old. I was actually with my older brother helping out some, um, some Franciscan friars. And we saw what a CD tape on the front cover was this guy with like heaps of muscles and stuff. And I was like, let's put that on. You know, I want to hear a bit about, <laughs> a bit, a bit about manhood. And uh, it was a speaker on this CD and he mentioned the word sex. And I said, I'll turn it off. If the Franciscans hear it, they're going to get in it. <laughs> and so, and then we, we left it at that. And then my older brother, Jared, went and bought a whole commentary on the theology of the body. And then I started reading it again later. And I can honestly say it, it just changed my life completely. It changed my life completely. And I know, I know that that St. John Paul II loved me enough to come across this message, but to also share it with others. So now we can see now how this erotic desire now takes on a whole new meaning. Okay, it's also now a desire for our sexuality. It becomes a desire for sexual intimacy and love. So we now seek erotic fulfillment through our sexuality as well. So it's almost like there's, these erotic desires are, are vertical, right? It's, it's a yearning for the human being to become one with God. But it also has a horizontal meaning, which is our sexual desires that we experience one for another on earth. And our sexual desires, this horizontal sexual desire, is meant to draw us up. It's meant to, in a sense, whet our appetite for the ultimate vertical marriage we're all called to with God in heaven. But this is the key. God created sex to be an icon of our ultimate fulfillment, not to be the idol of our ultimate fulfillment. And this is where our culture's gone incredibly wrong. Okay, we were never sexuality, okay, and, and, and that, 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 that pleasure that we get from a sexual experience, okay, as, as, as beautiful as that may be and as holy as that may be within God's plan, okay, it will never ever be able to, to satisfy that deep yearning for intimacy and love that we all have, which is only going to be filled with God. But our culture has become to twist this, and we now worship sex as the be-all and end-all, and, and, and if, we're not getting, if we're not getting some sexual pleasure, then we're missing out and we can't be truly happy, and there's no way we're ever going to experience love. This was never part of God's plan. I like to explain it this way. So Eddie... If you're feeling hungry for a Big Mac, mate, all right? And Eddie's driving, right? He's driving along, and he sees a sign that says there's a Macca's in two kilometres, okay? <laughs> Eddie, Eddie, what, what are you going to do? Eddie, imagine if Eddie was driving along, and he sees a sign that says Macca's in two kilometres, and he goes, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. He pulls over, and he jumps out, and he tries to start eating the sign that says Macca's in two kilometres, <laughs> Right? Now, we, we all laugh for this, but this is actually how stupid, unfortunately, many of us have become, me included, that we begin to worship sex as the ultimate fulfillment of our desires rather than following the sign 
that says your ultimate fulfillment is still two kilometres ahead. Now, what is that? In our case, I'm speaking about sexuality. Our sexuality is the sign that says if you're hungry for love, if you're yearning for intimacy and relationship and communion, that's great. And it's a sign saying you're going the right way, but keep going. And in fact, if we are called to marriage, our sexuality is a beautiful gift. But so long as we always understand it is a sign pointing to heaven. And heaven, I know it's a bad example, but heaven is like the Big Mac that you want, right? That's the actual fulfillment to your um, desire for love and intimacy. So a serious error occurs when we begin to idolize sex, or we idolize the sign, rather than allowing it to draw us even deeper into that yearning for God and heaven. If we direct our desire for the infinite to the finite, if we direct our love for God, our yearning for God, to something earthly, we will always be left completely empty. We'll always be completely miserable, empty and unhappy, and we'll, we'll never be satisfied no matter how much, how much of that we get, no matter how much of that we consume. Because there is a, a, a total difference between infinity and something finite, and, and the two can never meet. Our culture's obsession with sex is the human desire for heaven gone crazy. Our culture's obsession with sex is the human desire for heaven gone crazy. Because all of us, okay, honestly, it's great. We all had that experience, right? We went out there to evangelize. And we got a taste firsthand, okay, of some of the hunger that was out there. Some of the the real hunger and thirst to know God. Some of them were even were hurting. There was a woundedness there. And there was like, I'm not, I'm not interested in this God thing. Okay, but deep down, they are searching, searching for something that's going to satisfy. And it's like our culture's obsession with sex is really a misguided obsession with God. It, it's a misguided yearning for God who is love and who's going to satisfy all those desires. But it's almost like we're looking for it in all, in all the wrong places. And we wonder why we become empty and miserable. We had some great testimonies earlier today. Uh, earlier this camp and I want to share a little bit about mine as well but I was chewing on a McDonald's fine for about seven or eight years of my life and in my in my mid-teen years um, I, I was about 16 or 17 years old I had already kind of had some bad understandings of sexual desire and my sexuality and I really felt that my sexuality and, and, and my sexual desire was like a beast that was just trying to drag me down to hell And if I ever did anything to do with my sexuality, if I thought about it, if I listened to music about it, if I, um, you know, whatever, whatever it it, it was, right, with 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 my sexuality, I just thought it was wrong and sinful and unholy. And so I always equated sex with sin. I thought it was just the same thing. If you do anything to do with that that sexuality stuff, just go to confession because I'm sure it was wrong, right? I, I, I just truly felt anything that would feel even slightly good is, is a grave sin, mortal sin, and I've just got to get away from it as far as I can. And so through my teen years, 12, 13, 14, 15, you know, 16, for me it was all about trying to repress my sexual desire. I tried to kill my sexual desire. And I really felt that to experience any sexual desire at all was a sign of sinfulness. 
And I thought to yearn for love from another girl was wrong in itself. I actually believed, if I was to really think about it hard, I really believed that it was wrong to desire any intimacy or love prior to marriage, but the second you get married, it was all just fine and good. And I used to think, well, then how would I even be able to date someone or how would I actually be able to experience that desire for a woman? I was completely confused. And every time I went to ask someone some advice about this, I, was, um, I wasn't really steered on, on the right path. I wasn't really helped very, very well. Some people did actually affirmed what I thought and they said, yeah, all sexuality is wrong and um, you, know, you, you shouldn't be thinking about it at all. Just pretend it's not there until you get married. That was the advice I got from someone. Just pretend it's not there until you get married. So here I am as a teenager, maybe 90% of my headspace was girls, right? So I basically got to annihilate 90% of my brain, right? I just got to pretend all this does not exist and I need to be a good, holy boy that doesn't want anything and just be close to God and don't do anything wrong. Well, after a while of this, right, I felt like I was starving, I just felt like I was starving and I like to describe it as like a, I felt like I was keeping a lid on a pot that was just starting to boil with water. It's like, and, and the lid's starting to get hot and I can feel that all this pressure's building up in this pot. And I was like, I don't know how long I can keep this lid on this pot anymore. Like, I just need to break free. And I, I really believe that the church and God um, were not interested in my happiness. I didn't believe that God understood my sexual desire I thought because I was always told sex was basically sin, then I didn't think God had any place in in my desires. And so I just thought, you know what? God does not understand my desires. I'm starving here. I'm trying to to repress and and annihilate these desires and nothing's working. All my friends, you know, they're watching porn and they don't even call it impurity. They're just doing whatever they want to do. They're experimenting with girls and they're hooking up with girls and they're getting drunk and and I looked like I was the only one that didn't get, get involved in everything and I was the one that was kind of missing out. And so I, I remember I was about 17 years old and I went into my, uh, I went to visit a family friend of mine, but my dad, and I went in to use their bathroom and I noticed that next to the bathroom was a stash of pornographic magazines about that high. And so I walked in there and I can still see, and any of you that have had this experience would know, I can still see that image on the front cover of that magazine that was about eight years ago. It's burned in my brain. And all I can say is I remember feeling, I didn't obviously have these words for it, but I remember just feeling this this rush of excitement in my whole body. And I thought to myself, finally, I'm free. Finally, I don't have to repress these desires anymore. This is what I need to be happy God doesn't understand me. The church does not get me. They're really out of touch with this. And something good to think about is that unsatisfied desire leads to anger. Unsatisfied desire leads to anger. And I really believe that I needed all the things that I was desiring. And I would later realize I was right, but in a different way. And I just thought, no, no, God doesn't get this desire. And I thought in that moment, I threw God out of the picture in my heart. I threw the church out of my life in my heart. I would sit there. My family prayed a a daily rosary every night, and I did not say a Holy Mary for months and months and months. I would sit there and pretend to be involved, but I did not say a word. I didn't believe in prayer. And this is weird. I, I was never an atheist. 
I could I knew God existed, I just hated him. There's a big difference, right? I, I knew he was real, but I hated him because I just thought he's a monster. Because I'm just starting to begin reading theology of the body and stuff, and I'm trying to understand my sexuality. And I'm saying, so this is telling me, Pope John Paul II is telling me that my sexuality and my sexual desire is a gift. I was like, what on earth does that mean? I had no idea. So I thought, God gave me this gift, which is sending me insane. See you later, mate. Off you you went, right? And I really became, in a matter of weeks, a porn addict. And I was watching porn um, every single day for at least five or six years. And there was really, maybe after 18 months to two years, there was almost no pushback from me. I wasn't resisting it. I wasn't trying to resist it at all. It was only once a little bit later through that journey that I realized I was doing this in the name of being free with my sexuality. I wanted to break free from the chains of the church and experience a a true sexual freedom. But I, I realized very, very soon, even though I tried to deny it and ignore it, I had become a slave to my sexual desires. I was trapped no matter how, because I remember I I decided after a talk, I went to a talk when I was 18 by um, Jason Everett in Sydney, and in that one hour, he changed my life again, right, that man. He's probably changed half the lives of the people in this room, right? But he said to me, and about 800 other people in the the talk, (laughs) he said, um, pornography is the surest way to shoot your future marriage in the head. And I had always desired marriage. From as long as I can remember, I was about seven years old and I would, you know, lie in two separate beds with my older brother in the same room, though. I said that once. I was like, I was lying in bed with my brother and we think, thinking, I was like, no, no, two separate beds, okay? And, um, and I, said, I said, hey, Jared, can you be my best man? And he goes, yeah, yeah, do you want to be mine? Yeah. He was 10, I was seven. And um, I didn't even know I was getting married yet anyway. Thank God you came along. But um, about six months ago, I was his best man and he was mine three months ago. So that was beautiful. Um, I've lost my train of thought. Anyway, but sorry. I always did yearn to be married. And during that time when I I was watching pornography, I, I just kind of buried that desire. I remember saying to someone like, love is, it doesn't exist. Love isn't real. All this talk about real love, you know, finding your, your soulmate, all this, I thought, no, that's complete rubbish. That's, that's never going to happen. Love isn't real. It doesn't exist. But in that talk, something sparked in me that made me realize, you know what? I am absolutely empty. I'm miserable. I'm angry. I'm telling you, you would not have wanted to know me then. I was full of anger. Just I was so unhappy and, and miserable and cranky all the time. And I was doing it because I wanted to be free. I thought, this, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to live, right? And honestly, although it wasn't the right move, although I shouldn't have been trying to repress and, and annihilate my sexual desires, I was actually happier then than I was as an addict when I was indulging. Because as I said before, when you try and fill an infinite hole with a finite reality, you start to become very angry because nothing seems to satisfy and the more you start to, to indulge in this, in this finite um, reality that you are hoping is going to satisfy, but you realize it doesn't, you start to get angry with it as well. So then I started to hate my sexuality. 
I hated myself and I hated all my desires. I thought, this is a complete nightmare. I don't know how to get out of this. Um, and so it wasn't really until this talk by Jason Evert, and then I encountered um, Christopher West in America, and I, I started reading his books, and, and he introduced me really to Pope John Paul II in a new way, and he taught me that there is a third way. There is a third way to deal with our sexual desires and our sexuality. And that was the first thing he did that I had never heard from anyone before. He said, affirm our sexual desires. Affirm them as good. Affirm them as holy. And I thought, what on earth is he talking about? I've been brought up to believe that all, all sexual desire leads to sin. And he's saying that our, sexual, our sexuality and our sexual desires are gifts from God. And if we follow them, they'll lead us to heaven. Okay, now, obviously, there's a, there's a long process with how you come to freedom uh, from there. But I learned to begin ordering all my erotic and sexual desires towards God who alone will satisfy. Um, now, when Jesus is preaching, okay, on, he gives his Sermon on the Mount, it's uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. He says, Happy are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied, or they shall be filled. And what I took from this was, we need to acknowledge that we're hungry for love. We need to acknowledge that we are thirsty for intimacy. We're hungry for communion. Okay, We're thirsting to be known and to be loved unconditionally. And these are all good things. And Jesus is saying... If you acknowledge that you're hungry and you acknowledge that you're thirsty, come to me and I will satisfy all those desires. And then John chapter 1, verse 38, he says, he's with the three first disciples. And Jesus says to them, what do you want? And they say, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. Now, I like this because really he's asking them, what do you desire? What do you yearn for? What do you long for? And then when they gave him their answer, he didn't just tell them. He said, come, I want to show you. I want to journey with you to fill all these desires that you have. I want to journey with you and I want to fulfill them with you, not apart from you, but with you. And I think this applies to our sexual desires as well. God wants to marry me and God wants to marry you and he wants to satisfy all of these deep erotic desires for love and intimacy that many of us have been taught to repress, have been taught to ignore, have been taught not to think about or to assume if we're experiencing any desire, we must be full of lust and that we're full of sinfulness. This could not be further from the truth. This is Satan, Satan at his best. I really believe this is Satan at his best. Because God created sexual desire to be holy and sacred. Now, Satan cannot create from nothing as God can. But he can twist and, and, and manipulate okay, and, and try, to, try to, um, to disorder these holy desires from God in our lives. And what Satan seems to be doing very well, and certainly he did in my life, was to convince us that our desires in themselves are lusts. And if you're experiencing any burning desire for intimacy or love, you are a sinful person. And that is straight from the mouth of Satan. 
Jesus gave us these sexual desires and he hopes that we'll follow them. But what are so many of us doing, me included especially? God's giving us this desire saying, please follow these desires to me. And we're saying, no, that's, that's bad. That's a bad path. I don't want to take it. I don't want to follow it. So we're actually in a way where we're kind of giving God a slap on the face saying that your creation of my sexuality is wrong and dirty. And to be holy, I need to be a pure spirit, void of my body and void of my sexual desires. Is this making sense to anyone? Yeah, right. So I want to shift gears a little bit here and make it a bit more, how do we apply this to our life? How do we order our sexual desires in a way that will lead to authentic freedom and fulfillment? Firstly, what I used to do, and this really did not help, and again, I'm, I don't want to bag anyone or put anyone down as I, as I share this, but this was my experience, and I think it's very important that you know which is exactly what happened. As soon as I would experience a, 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 a sexual desire, sorry, I do have a speech impediment, okay, I stutter, and when I'm tired, I stutter a lot more. And as you can tell, okay, I think that Satan does not want this message to get out either. <laughs> So I appreciate your patience, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling as well. Thank you. Sometimes this cross gets heavier. So anyway, it's a, it's, it's a journey. God's got a sense of humor, eh? I'll, gi- I'll give this bloke a stutter, and I want you to go and talk in front of people. Anyway, so... Sometimes it gets me, it gets me down, so pray for me. Um, so don't do what I did. When I experience a, a desire, I would go into like a fit, I'd panic, okay? And I'd go, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think, just please get out of my head, please just leave. And I'd start praying the desire would go. Now, I, in confession, okay, throughout my teen years and even into my early 20s, when I still had that struggle, um, I went to confession a lot about that, thanks be to God. I never stopped going to confession. But one piece of advice I always got, which I really don't think is helpful, and again, I'm just being sincere here with my experience, was that I was always told when you experience a sexual desire, go for a run or go to the gym or, or just literally get it out of your mind. Now, I don't know about you, okay, but um, I, I went to the gym all through teen years and all my 20s, okay, and... I'm not the most fit person you've ever seen, but I did used to run, okay? And when I would get back from that run or I'd get back from the gym, that desire would be there waiting for me even stronger. And I think we are, in a very real way, we are simply just, we are really just making an escape from the problem and we're not actually dealing with what's going on. So if anyone does give you that advice just to go for a run or to go to the gym, I really want to encourage you Please don't just think that's the best way. It really isn't a good way to deal with it at all. You're really just kind of running away from what God is actually trying to communicate to you. We have a bad habit of saying a sexual desire is a temptation. Temptation from the devil. It's all from Satan. Any desires from the devil. It's actually not. Before it is a temptation to sin, it is a reminder that you're called to love. That was a game changer for me. It is not a temptation as much as it is a reminder from God that you are made to love and that you are called to love. And every time you experience a sexual desire, what is that desire reminding you of? That you are made 
for communion with God. You were made to be an intimate communion with God. That's, that's the first thing. And so whenever we experience a desire, or what we would call a temptation, don't just run away from it and panic and say, I can't think about it, please just go away. I would encourage you to slow down and actually press into that desire and say, Lord, what are you saying to me through this desire? When I became an addict, I wasn't slowing down at all. I would simply receive or experience that desire. could have been for masturbation, for pornography, whatever it may have been. And without any resistance, I would say, well, in the name of of sexual freedom, I'm just going to follow it and do whatever my desires tell me to do because now I'm free. I'm listening to my heart, right? And that didn't lead to happiness and fulfillment either. I became an addict and enslaved and I was miserable and angry, as I said. What I learned to start doing, and and it's important to know, I'm not perfectly pure. And I think once you're a porn addict, it is a weakness that Satan continues to to eat at you through. When there's there's a weakness or I'm down or I'm tired, it's always the first point of call for the devil. He still uses the same trick against me that I was addicted to for so many years. So in many ways, I'm still learning to exercise this well. But whenever I experience a desire for something with my sexuality, I've got to pause, slow down, and affirm my sexual desire first. And to say, thank you, God, for making me a man. Thank you for giving me this desire. Thank you for stamping this desire within my desires and in my body for love and for communion and for relationship. Now, if it is a reminder that I was called to love, my next step must be... Now, how am I called to love in this particular event or circumstance? If I walk into a service station, and there's always a few pornographic magazines in the service station, and it might not be for you, but I'm short, so it's normally at eye level, okay? (laughs) So I walk into the service station, and I'm always, you're always confronted with these pornographic images, and right there and then, okay, without without even wanting to, there is a desire that creeps up there. Now, what I've had to learn to do is to affirm that desire and say, well, deep down in this desire, it's a reminder I'm made to love and I'm called to love. Now, if I am called to love with my sexuality, if I simply turn my eye from that beautiful woman on the front cover, that's not good enough. I haven't actually loved her, have I? If I'm just avoiding the sin, I haven't actually loved her. It has to be more active than that. Now, it's a good idea, right? It's a good idea to shield your eyes from simply just staring at this woman on the cover, but to make that like an active turning away. It's, I'm going to love this woman by choosing to uphold her dignity and uphold her value, especially when she has forgotten her own. And I'm going to love her by resisting using her. And I'm going to say a prayer for this woman and I'm going to love her through my prayer. And I learned yesterday that all grace is communicated through prayer. Okay, So I'm going to communicate grace. I'm not just going to turn away and say it's bad, it's dirty, don't think about it. I'm actually going to love that woman. And you know what? That's what God is calling us to. God actually wants us to love porn stars. That's the only way they're ever going to feel loved and to receive the love from God. We need to love them. And it can't simply be a turning away. It's got to be an active response. 
Now, when I was engaged, and I hope I'm going to be personal again because I think it's most helpful. Um, what do you do with a sexual desire? You might be in a relationship right now. Okay, you could have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or fiance. Okay, now when I was engaged, okay, um, you know, after a busy week at work, I'd sit down with Maddie, we'd watch a movie together. Now I'm sitting next to the woman I think is the most beautiful, most gorgeous woman that's ever walked the earth, apart from Mary. I have to say that, but you know. And I'm sitting there with the love of my life. I love her so much. As an engaged man, a good example, it's a week before the wedding, for example, okay? And I'm sitting there, okay, I'm giving her a hug, and I experience this desire to love her, and I'm appreciating her love for me. What do we do? We're not married. I can't express my love for her as an unmarried man through the full gift of my sexuality to her, because as we said, that the sexual acts itself is the sign that seals the marriage bond and is actually a renewal of the wedding vows every time after the wedding, which is amazing. But I'm not married yet. I've got no vows to renew. Otherwise, I'm I'm speaking a language of a lie with my body and with my sexuality. But with that desire, I have an obligation by God to respond to that sexual desire and to love my fiancée. So what do I do? So we need to say, okay, well, within the circumstance of our relationship, what forms of physical affection can we show that would honour the other, that would honour God, honour our sexuality, but still communicate love and affection between, between us as an engaged couple? We can hold hands. I can give her a hug. I can give her a, a kiss that is simple. I like to say with a closed mouth. Okay, They are all healthy forms of affection that should be done as a response to our deep desire for love and affection. And they safeguard the purity of the other and they reveal that I love you through these acts. But of course, because I haven't, had not professed the words of the wedding vows to her yet, I had no right to express them in the full gift of my sexuality at that point. Even as a married man, and I know there's only maybe a couple of of married people in the room, a lot of people are asking questions, what is purity within marriage, right? And I'm very new to it, so I should be very careful not to say too much. But very simply, once you're married, there's still that same obligation to make sure that we're we're responding in a healthy way to our sexual desire and in a way that's going to love and honour and uphold the value and dignity of our spouse. But this time, now that I actually have professed words of the wedding vows to Maddie, and I can give myself fully in in that gift of of my sexuality to her, every single time that we may experience that desire to love one another, we need to discern the, the motive of our love. Am I giving myself to her completely just because I feel like it? Is it been motivated by lust, just because I feel like some affection and pleasure? Or am I, am I making a complete gift to myself in love to my wife? Right? And it's always evolving. It's always, and I'm sure when kids come along, it's going to change again with all new challenges and struggles. Okay? But I hope that's helpful, especially in the examples when you're single or when you're engaged or in a relationship. 
It's important to affirm that sexual desire and to respond to every sexual desire in love. And sometimes that means being active in turning the eye or to not respond um, in an unhealthy way to that desire. So you might be thinking, how on earth do you have the time to do all that when you get this desire come up? And I think that's a good, that's a good point. And again, I'm, I'm learning this as we go. But really, all of us, no matter what, and this is so important, this blew my mind when, when, um, when Christopher West said this to me. I think it was, it was probably one of the, the, the most beautiful things I'd ever heard. He said, no matter what your sexual orientation, no matter what sex you're drawn to or desire, all of us are deeply wounded and experience a disordered desire with our sexuality. All of us. We are all in the same boat, and that means every single one of us, no matter what our sexual orientation, need our desire to be transformed through God. We all need that. We need to be transformed from an inclination to lust and for that to be ordered and that every time we experience a desire, we're responding in love. How do we transform our sexual desire? Obviously, after original sin, all of us have a tendency to lust, but it's not as strong as our desire to love. And we've got to always remember that. We all have a deeper desire to love than we do to lust and to use. None of us actually want to use anyone, but in our weakness, we have that tendency. And again, the only way, some of you in the room may be struggling with pornography right now. I'm going to speak heavily on this tonight to the men, or with masturbation, or with whatever it may be. And I want you to remember something very important. The only way, okay, to triumph in that sin, okay, is to love something even bigger than what you're loving now. The only way to transform from, from something sinful is to replace your love of that with something even greater, which is God. Love can transform. That's the only thing that can transform. So we need to transform our sexual desires through vulnerable prayer, which is all exactly what we've been doing here, right? Vulnerable prayer, being open to the Holy Spirit and actually saying, Lord, I'm acknowledging that I'm wounded. I'm acknowledging that my desires are messed up and twisted and and there's disorder there and I am inviting you to come into that place that I am most embarrassed of, that I am most ashamed of. I don't know what it is, but with our sexuality, it seems to be that one sin that carries so much shame. I've never heard anyone talk about any other sin they've experienced with as much shame as with something to do with, with their sexuality. It just doesn't seem to happen. There's so much shame linked with our sexuality and sexual sin. But we've got to invite God into that most vulnerable place and the place that maybe we've trained ourselves to believe he doesn't belong. But he is so interested in being welcomed into that place because the only way we're going to be transformed is from the inside and he's got to do all the work. If I've got a big infection on my arm and I'm forced to go to the GP... Right, maybe mum says, you've got to go and get that arm checked. And I walk in with long sleeve shirts on. And I go in and I say, oh, mum wanted me to get a checkup, you know. But, you know, but look, I'm, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. You can check me, you know, you can, you can check my eyes and ears and there's no fever and everything. Sometimes when we come into prayer, Jesus is the, he's our, our divine GP, right? 
and we walk in and maybe you haven't got your long sleeve shirts on or whatever, okay? But in that sense, we, we hide our woundedness and we hide what we're most ashamed of. And we might come in and we might say some kind of standard prayers. We, we might sing, but we're not really opening our heart. We're not really welcoming Jesus into our heart, into those depths where sin is, and we're trying to pretend we're okay. Now, Jesus is such a kind GP, he will never ask you to roll up any sleeve that you don't choose to. He's never, ever going to force you to unveil a wound that you're not, you don't want to reveal or that you may not be ready to, to reveal. And you know what? If we do have the courage to roll back that sleeve and show the infections on our, on our arm, maybe it's going to be embarrassing. And when, when that GP begins to clean that wound... It's probably going to sting and it's probably going to hurt. And while we're being clean, we're going to wish we did not open up that arm and we're going to say, why did I do this now? I've, I've started it now, but and I'm, you know, I don't really want to pull back now. And we're going to have all these questions going back and forth and fear and anxieties are going to come in and we're going to say, why did I do this? And even though it might be a, a very painful process, it is the only way to experience healing. And I want to encourage you today, if we do get more time to, in, in prayer or in adoration, just ask yourself, where am I in need of healing when it comes to my, to my sexuality and my sexual desires? What sleeve do I need to roll back? Where do I need to invite God in and to, and to begin that healing process? And I'll close with this. Once transformed, God wants to set our hearts on fire with a burning desire for him too many of us may feel like the goal of purity is to have no desire to be like asexual i've heard it put right just i just i don't even i don't desire a man or a woman i just have no desire at all for sexuality and we think that's the goal again if god gave us the gift of our sexuality and our sexual desires once we give them to him once we say god i want to invite you and can you transform this desire now I want all this design to be ordered towards love. He will work on us. He will begin his work on us and he'll begin to untwist all this lust and this, this disordered desire we may have in our life. And once we're free, once we're, we're beginning to experience authentic sexual desire as God intended it, we are going to be set on fire with a burning love for God. And our sexual desire and our erotic desire is going to be truly free. This is true, authentic freedom with our sexuality. And just to finish, Mary had the deepest, hottest desire for God out of any human being that has ever lived. Mary has the most beautiful, most on fire, erotic desire out of any human being. And she was in such in yearning and longing for God that she literally conceived God within her, Right? And so I want to leave you with that, and I hope that was helpful, but I want to encourage you, especially as we begin to journey through with the talks later today and ultimately to finish with James tomorrow, let's already begin to soften our hearts for when James is going to begin speaking because this is not, it's not an overnight process. I've been aware of the healing I'm in need of for four or five years, and in many ways I'm still infected and in, in, need of, in need of God's healing touch. God bless you. Thank you. 
That was Simon Carrington with Understanding Our Sexual Desire. This presentation was part of the 2018 Immaculata Mission School held in Hobart, Tasmania on the theme, Being a Disciple of Jesus. And for more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.